You know, that song so beautifully captures both musically and lyrically the whole contrast of when you were young, he used to say, live and let live, kind of an innocent type of thing, and all of a sudden that, that, that whatever you call it, the pitch or whatever, the, it picks up, and it's just like, and now you say, live and let die. And it really describes sometimes the changes that takes place in people as they get into the, the world or, or the working world or whatever it happens to be. Uh, well, it's just the, 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 the crapola of life sometimes as it takes over and, and makes you into something, not positively, but makes you into something that maybe you weren't before. And then you have to deal with the people who you work with or who you are in community with, maybe in your neighborhood or, or coaches or, or, or with kids or whatever, who have, maybe that's a slight exaggeration on the film clip, but who are like that. Whatever it takes, do this deal. Whoever you got to step on, do this deal. Make this happen. And um, unfortunately... You may have some people like that in your life right now, whether they be people who are your supervisors or people you are in partnership with or people that you have as clients or maybe you have in your family or neighborhood or kids' coaches or teachers or whatever. Unfortunately, that's a reality of life, and there's not a thing I can do about that for you. I wish I could. So here's what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to focus really on a, on a couple of areas. Number one, how you respond to that, and, and even more than that, how do you keep from being that? How do I keep from being um, and allowing life from changing me into some manipulative, parasitic slime ball that just will do at anything, will win at any cost, will do whatever it takes? And whatever it takes may involve ethics or none. So how do I keep that from happening to me? Because I can't tell you how many times I, as a pastor, have talked to people um, who have, you know, all of a sudden, 5, 10, 20 years after something's going on, they wake up for a wake-up call. Maybe it was on a family emergency. Maybe it was a, a, a downsizing of a company. Maybe it was something else. And they're sitting there thinking, how did I become this person? And my answer usually is something like, uh, something like this probably one day at a time without some checks and some balances and without some introspection and some soul searching. So that's what I want to focus on. And um, it's interesting to me how, how sometimes we sort of almost kind of admire in, in some cases that type of, of mentality. I, I was re- I'm reading this book and um, it was sort of my summer read, and I'm really enjoying it. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the Life and Times of Babe Ruth. I saw it in the Wall Street Journal and the uh, review of it. And, and a, being a big baseball fan, I wanted to read it. And, and, you know, it's one of those books that's just you're enjoying so much that you, 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 I'm halfway through it, and I'm thinking, what am I going to read next that's going to be nearly as good as this? It's just so interesting. And Babe, Babe had an interesting life, and he obviously wasn't exactly uh, a virtuous kind of guy. But... Um, um, but I wanted to read something with all the home run stuff going on. For those of you who are baseball fans, all the home run stuff going on. I want you know all the steroids and all that crap. I wanted to I wanted to to read something you know somebody who hit home runs the old fashioned way. You know, beer and hot dogs. That was it. Just beer and hot dogs. Um, but anyway, there's there's, a, there's this one little clip in here, um, little passage in here. That I want to read to you, and and, and it, it has to do with when I read it the first time. I, I just thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then as I stopped and I sort of thought a little more about that, I thought, oh, that really maybe shows that I've accepted the times and so forth. There's some funny, there's some humor to it, and, and you'll see that. But at the same time, it's not, well, I'll comment more on it. This, this is happening right after, uh, it happened 1919, um, Babe Ruth was sold by that evil, the, the original evil empire, Boston. And um, they, it was, he was sold by the Red Sox. For those of you who are Boston fans, I love you, okay? Don't get all upset. Um, we had a bunch of them here in the 930 service, and they almost uh, started throwing their... They're uh, whatever they had at me. Um, but the, 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 the Red Sox have, have sold Babe Ruth. Maybe, maybe you know the story. Harry Frazee, owner of the Red Sox, um, wanted to finance a Broadway play. No, no, Nanette. And in order to do it, he didn't have any money, so he sold Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees. And it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. It was a real, real, you know, people in Boston were upset. People in New York were delighted. Babe's 23, 24, so just really beginning to hit his peak. And uh, so this is, he spends the winter of 1919, 1920 in California, um, basically just doing the things that Babe did, which weren't always, you know, kind of a womanizer and, and, and alcoholic and everything else. So he's getting ready for spring training. He's going to come back. He's going to meet the new owners of the New York Yankees, or the owners at that time of the New York Yankees, which were two colonels, guys named Houston and Rupert, both Colonel Rupert and Colonel Houston, and the manager of the Yankees at that time, his name was Miller Huggins. So he's going to meet them before they go to spring training, and he's now a Yankee, okay? So here, here's where the story picks up. He boomed into the club offices on 42nd Street, still tanned from California, animated, wearing a large leather coat, and handing out cigars. The colonels, that's the two colonels who owned the Yankees, meeting with Miller Huggins, the manager, and they had their first good look at their new investment. He very much seemed to be the oversized character that he was supposed to be. He's like 6'2", 220-ish, 225-ish, somewhere in there. Okay? He, he, he very much, uh, he seemed to be the oversized character that he was supposed to be. And in the course of conversation, one of the owners, Colonel Houston, tried to preach the virtues of moderation, much as Miller Huggins, the manager, had done in California the previous winter. It also didn't work. Now, here is according to the record of those who were there what was said. Look at you, the babe said. Too fat and too old to have any fun. And that goes for him too, pointing to the other colonel. As for that shrimp, the big man finalized and in, in indicating Huggins, the manager, he's half dead right now. <laughs> and, he, and he goes on, the grand experiment had begun. That was 10 minutes before the departure of their train for, for spring training. I read that and I, I kind of I, I laughed. I mean, there's, there's, some, there's some, not quite probably what you would want to say to your new employer, uh, the CEO or, you know, of, of, of the company that you're now going to work for. But, you know, when you have what he had, the babe had, which is pretty much his way anywhere he wanted it, you could do and say pretty much anything. Now, most of us will not have the opportunity to be like Babe Ruth in terms of having the celebrity and the ability to hit a baseball as far as he did and do all the things that he did so that we can have that kind of uh, almost an abusive talk to people, whether they are over us or not. Most of us will never have that opportunity like the babe did. On the other hand, let me just say this. Most of us do have those places of influence where we are, where we might in situations, be borderline verbally abusive or borderline intimidating or borderline manipulative, if not borderline over the top, 
in that way. And whether or not it's with the owners and the manager of the New York Yankees or the owners and the managers and the clients of the company that I deal with or my husband or wife or the people that I work with or the people that I am neighbors with or my kids on the soccer team with or whatever it happens to be, it's still wrong. God has a better way. I want you to see that. And I want you to see three very simple, easily said bullet points on how to keep from changing into this manipulative, parasitic slime ball. I'm going to show you three very simple, very simple bullet points that are probably the hardest things that I talk about ever. Easy to say, difficult to do. How does it happen? Let's just jump into these things. Very simple, very quick. The first one, something you've heard me talk about before, and I talk about it a lot, probably not enough. Um, Be honestly self-aware. This is tough. Be honestly self-aware. Socrates, who we speak of often here, put it this way, the unexamined life is not worth living. Um, There's a passage in the Bible that the Apostle Paul, as an older, older minister writing to a very young minister in his 30s, late 20s, early 30s. His name was Timothy. And he wrote two letters to Timothy. We know him in the New Testament as First and Second Timothy. And it was, it, was, it was really wisdom from a senior pastor to a, to a pastor just starting out. Um, I have absorbed those letters over and over and over again, particularly when I became a pastor when I was almost 30. And uh, so, and it's funny, I still read them to this day like I'm almost 30 because I guess I still feel like it. And, um, and, but he said this to this young pastor. And I, it's good, it's applicable for all of us. You don't have to be a pastor, it's applicable for all of us. Here's what he said. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Stay, stay true to what is right, and God will save you and those who hear you. What a great thought. Keep a close watch on yourself. Now, maybe that's through prayer. Maybe that's through people close to me that can help me keep a close watch on myself. My mate, hopefully. Maybe a close friend. Hopefully both. Maybe someone else nearby. Maybe it's a therapist. I don't know. Hopefully there are some people in your life, and if not, they need to be there. They may be there already, and you haven't really invited them in, so to speak, who can help you be honestly self-aware and keep a close watch on yourself. Listen, this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, this is one of the giants of, of, of Christendom. And he's saying, keep a close watch on yourself. Stuff can happen. If that's true for him, trust me, it's true for you, and it's true for me. Keep a close watch on yourself. Be honestly self-aware. How do I do that? Um, you pray. I'm, you know what? I mean, I don't very often do this. If you're visiting with us, I, I rarely do this. I'm even going to give you a prayer from the Scriptures that you can pray. I, I pray this prayer all the time. And some of you have heard me say it before. It comes from Psalm 139. This is in the Amplified Bible. Just follow along. Search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked or hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You say, well, you know, I don't have a lot of time for prayer. Just start with that one right there. Write that down or memorize that and on your way into work or on your way home or on your way, you know, to the golf course or whatever it is you do. Just stop. Search me thoroughly, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me and 
know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked or hurtful way in me. That's a great prayer. Just start with that. Be honestly self-aware. It's tough. I don't think you can do it unless there's God involved. Because if you're like me, you'll lie to yourself. You start living out of that, that psychology calls it that false self where you, this person you have created in your mind maybe or maybe in your work or, or, or in your home and you start living up to that role instead of the person whom you really are. And God says, be who you really are and, and, and be that. That's what's empowering to me. That's, what's, that's, that's how God made us. That's what authenticity is. Be honestly self-aware. Search me, O oh God, thoroughly and know my heart and try me in my thoughts. One Bible says, and see if there be any hurtful way in me. You know, some signs, very quick signs that you may not be too self-aware. Is it hard for you to admit that you're wrong? Because let me help you with this. You are. Okay? I saw a few elbows. (laughs) You know what that means. (laughs) Let's be careful with that now. I can see better, but the lights are in my eyes, so I don't want to... Um, no matter what happens, you blame somebody else. You know, you, those of you who don't know me, I, I talk a lot about golf because it is one of my passions in life. And, I, and on the golf course, it's just so fun. Uh, in many, it's so much like life. Uh, somebody will screw up a shot. Oh, man, I really need new clubs. I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know? And then somebody else goes, oh, man, you should have seen the lie that I had. I had a terrible lie. And I've gotten, at least with those people that I know very well, I'll say, you missed the shot, just admit it. Don't lie about it. Go buy another, you know, $600 worth of golf clubs. Um, life's a lot like that. It's easy to blame. Well, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know this. You, don't, you know what? We've all got some stuff like that. And yeah, we need to deal with whatever's real. But the truth is, we still have to admit our faults and we still have to admit our issues and we still have to admit our weaknesses. Another sign of a person who may not be too self-aware is that they never or at least rarely examine their long-held beliefs. Nothing wrong with that. I don't know, some, some, somewhere, somewhere, in some Christian place, someplace, Somebody said, once you believe it, don't ever question it. Listen, God's big enough to be questioned, and so is the Bible. That's okay. It's not like God is on his throne in heaven and somebody says, oh, I don't know if sure if God's there. And God says, oh, how dare you deal? God's big enough to handle that. He's big enough to handle our questions and our doubts. Um, here's another one. I'll just leave this with this one. You're overly critical person who's not very self-aware is overly critical. They criticize everything. They're negative. Just critical in everything. What does that say? It says, I could do better. I'm better. Think about that. There's a lot of things to be critical of. I'm not denying that. But uh, anybody can do that. And criticism is not a gift. Let me just tell you that. Be self-aware. Be honest about it. Get people around you who help you be self-aware because you'll need them. Second bullet point that I want you to see, and it's, a, it's, it's, again, a very simple thing to say. Again, not so easy to do. Be cooperative with the processes of God. Okay? 
Be cooperative with God's process of working in your life. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is in Philippians, and it says this, I am sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. So what he's telling us here is God will be, who began the work in us, that is the work of God, of a relationship with him, who began this, this quote-unquote construction project, God who began that will finish it, either when he comes back or, or when we go to meet Christ, when we die. So my point is this, you're never finished. You're never finished. The work is never over in your own life. And don't get impatient with yourself. Don't get impatient with others because we're all under construction. Okay? Think about that this, this next 17 months when you get on Highway 78. You've heard about that, right? Um, huge construction project. You don't want to hear it from me. Um, Think about that when next time you're on Highway 78 between here and New York starting at the end of the month. It's under construction. It's only going to be for 17 months. You're under construction for all your life. Okay? Unbelievable. I probably shouldn't have distracted you with that uh, little illustration. But, but um, you know, some evidences that that's happening, just internal change. Internal change. You're being less judgmental. You're being less less angry. Angry. Maybe I don't necessarily mean by anger that you that you're popping off all the time, but I mean just that that anger about life and a little less of that. Maybe you're less angry with the home that you were raised in, or or the situation that you're in, or or the, the circumstances under which you are now living under, or whatever. A little more compassion. Let me show you. This is a great quote from Henri uh, uh, Nouwen uh, from the book called The Wounded Healer, which is a great book. The man who can articulate the movements of his inner life, who can find names to his varied experiences, need no longer be a victim of himself, but is able slowly and consistently to remove the obstacles that prevent the spirit from entering. Only he is able to articulate his own experience, can offer himself to others as a source of clarification. Be cooperative with the processes of God. God's working in you. Allow him to do that. Don't be stubborn and don't be hard to get along with and don't say, well, I don't want to change or I've always been this way or, or you don't know what's going on with me or, or I need this. I, let God work in your heart. And you do that and, 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 and just, you know, whether it be through spending some time just alone, whether it be on a, on a daily basis you know, I used to have this thing going on I, as a young man. I went to this thing, and they were talking about the importance of a quiet time. Got to have a quiet time. And this particular minister pretty, made a pretty good case for it at the time. I think he's wrong now, but made a pretty good case for the fact that you got to get up every morning early, and you got to pray just an hour. There's 24 hours in a day. One hour, one twenty-fourth of your day should be spent prayer. I mean, he, didn't, he went on this whole thing. And the big thing was, you got to be up early. And he quoted from some one of the Psalms where David says, early will I seek you. And here I am at that particular time. I am not a morning person. And I, I get up early, but I'm still not particularly a morning person. You know, and here I am thinking, i got to get up early and pray. I can't hardly say my name before 7 o'clock, let alone something else. And I'm thinking, i got to do this thing. And, of course, you force that for so long, and then it doesn't, you don't work. And you think, oh, what a terrible sinner I am. I'm not up praying this morning. Listen, 
I don't know whether it's early in the morning for you. I don't know whether it's late at night. I don't know if it's, it's five minutes at your lunch hour. Or I don't know if it's driving the, riding the train in or back or, or in your car or, or just kind of getting a little time away from the kids in the backyard. Whatever it happens to be, whatever works, do it. And if that's, if that's nothing more than, than just uttering this heartfelt prayer, search me, O oh God, know my heart. Help me to see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Boom. That's pretty good prayer. I don't care if it's 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. or 12 midnight. You know, but the point is, say, God, I want to I cooperate with the Spirit of God working in me. I don't want you to just work in my heart. I want to work. I, wanna, I want to be what God wants me to be. Be cooperative with the processes of God. Third thing. Easy to say. Again. Gosh, this is difficult. Seek to live unaffected by life circumstances. Oh, it's so hard. Seek to live unaffected by what the heck is going on around you. So many of us, our weeks, our months, our years are dependent upon what's going on around us. Do you recognize the shallowness of that? Do you recognize that's a dead-end street? I don't know, you know, some of you I know, some of you I don't know about your lives. I don't care who you are. If you live, if your life and if your moods are determined by your week, you are not going to be a very happy person. It's just not going to happen because of life. Just, excuse me, what I call the crapola of life. I mean, this is there. You know, and I'm a positive guy, okay, but it's still there. So, so the point is God has something different. God has a better way. Let me show you this, because this is good. This comes from, uh, again, Paul's writings, and this is in the letter to the Philippian Christians, to the Christians at Philippi. And um, here's what he says. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Watch this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Many times, especially in Christian circles, you hear that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's okay. That's fine. Glad people will quote that, that little passage of Scripture. What happens, I love to get back to the context because that particular thought is uttered in the context of whether I have a good day or a bad day. Whether I got a lot, whether the deal came through or whether the deal got flushed down the toilet. Whatever, I can, I, I'm Okay. I can have good, I can have bad. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ. That's what he's talking about. Even when my kids are being jerks, even when my husband's being a horse's tail. <laughs> Those of you who are visiting don't know how hard that is for me. Uh, the rest of you do. Um, <laughs> um, but you see my point here. Now, let me make this very clear. You can't do, you cannot do this by yourself. You can't. You don't have that kind of power. You don't have that kind of ability. I don't care how strong you are. That's why you need Jesus. That's why you need a relationship with God. <laughs> Pascal said this. I love him. The strength of a man's virtue should not be measured by his special exertions, but by his habitual acts. Huh. And my favorite Roman senator, 
Seneca, if you see a man unterrified in the midst of danger, untouched by desires, happy in adversity, peaceful amid the storm, will you not say a divine power has descended upon this man? That is so true. You can't do this stuff without God. When we understand that God and a relationship with Him and how Jesus came to give us that relationship and that ability, when you understand that, it changes everything. It changes everything. Doesn't mean it's not a struggle. Doesn't mean there won't be times when it'll be more difficult than other times because there will be times like that. But there's no hope without God. Let me just... Let me just wrap this up. Let me just say this, and I'm going to, in a minute, have the guys come up and, and do one, one last song for you. Um, an old friend, you've heard me speak of him before, for those of you who've been here very regularly, and, and um, he uh, spent some time on death row. I know you're thinking, oh my gosh, what kind of friends does Rich have? Well, that's kind of my friends, you know. Um, came to our church that I used to pastor in uh, in uh, Birmingham, and and miraculously came to Christ while he was on death row and it wasn't one of those jailhouse conversions, okay? And to this day is still serving Christ in many different ways and serving the Lord. And, um, but I remember talking to him a number of times about that whole experience and what had happened and how he got there and it's a whole long story. But I remember him saying, he got, through a whole set of circumstances, he got a, a pardon and was pardoned not only off death row but out of jail. And um, through a whole said of a whole litany of things as he, as he came to Christ. One of the things he told me many years later, because he ended up having quite an impact on uh, being a chaplain for some football teams and some other stuff. And, uh, and I remember so vividly what he said to me uh, one time. He says, you know, when you have been and you realize you have been forgiven of something so great and so awful, it changes everything you do. It changes how you live in many other different ways. And I want you to think about this. You and I, I don't think anybody here have been on, we haven't been on death row. Probably should have been for thoughts a few times in our lives. When we understand the forgiveness of Jesus coming to earth, suffering, dying, going to the tomb, and, 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 and being raised again. When we understand that Jesus did that for me, and I understand I'm forgiven because of that, it affects everything I do. And it affects the fact, all of a sudden, I can't be, if I'm sensitive to that, that manipulative, intimidating, I'm going to do what I want to do type of an attitude. I can't. Why? Because I recognize I'm a forgiven person. I'm living on borrowed time by God's grace. It changes how I live. It changes how I treat the person who can't speak English who waits on me. It changes how I, how I treat the person at the grocery store. It changes how I treat the client that I can't stand. And oh my, did I mention? It changes how I treat my mate and my kids and my family got to change all that because of Jesus and his forgiveness. Let me get the guys to come on up and let me pray. God, thank you so much for the truth that is here in the Bible that we can realize. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your forgiveness and that Jesus came 
for me, for us. And help us not to forget that it still comes down to not just us forgiving, but recognizing the forgiveness we have in you. And we thank you for that. And we pray, God, you'd take these, uh, these thoughts and uh, just stamp them into our hearts and into our minds. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.